the premise of the book, and I honestly think it's the premise of almost the entire Bible, is that the presence of the right person can change you right now. I think about that, you know, as a, as a father, I have a really bad day, all these problems to think about at work. And I walk through the door and my daughter comes running up and just gives me the biggest hug. Like the, the presence of a compassionate, loving person changed me in that moment. Or, or a counseling day, let's, you're just in a rough spot with mental health and you step into the office of your counselor. Like just the presence of their patience, their empathy, their wisdom, I'm sure you, you hear clients say all the time, it just feels good to talk. So I'm kind of thinking, yeah, sometimes you have, a, you see the counselor, you see the pastor, it's your daughter or it's your friend, but there's actually someone much bigger, much better, who has called himself an ever-present help in trouble. And so change your life doesn't mean the circumstances of your life, but your perspective on it. But recognizing he is in the room and he is not a small God that like says, oh, just wait till heaven, I'll make it better. Like he wants his presence in the present to do something with our hearts and with our souls. That is Mike Novotny, and this is The Well Mind Podcast. The Well Mind is a space for meaningful conversations about a broad range of wellness-related topics with a special emphasis on our mental wellness. Hey everybody, just a quick reminder that I'm planning a Q&A episode in the near future. I've received some great questions already, but please, please keep them coming. Send your wellness-related questions to the podcast email, which is thewellmind at blc.edu. You can find that address in the show notes. I love hearing from listeners, and I'm just super excited to use this Q&A format to really enrich the WellMind community. So send them over. All right, Time of Grace is a large media ministry. And their lead speaker and recent author, Pastor Mike Novotny, is my guest in episode 24 of the podcast. Mike has been a pastor at The Core in Appleton, Wisconsin for seven years and joined Time of Grace just a couple of years ago as the lead speaker. Through his work with Time of Grace, he published his first book entitled Three Words That Will Change Your Life. We discuss this book and really use it as a jumping off point for discussing spiritual growth, family life, and living life in God's grace-filled presence. This conversation is a this moment for me. If you've read Pastor Mike's book, you know what I mean. But if you haven't, that's okay. So sit back, relax, get ready to laugh, and get ready to think. And Hagah with Mike and I as we explore the beauty and power of God's presence. Mike, thank you so much for joining the WellMind community and coming on our podcast. Uh, I've been looking forward to our conversation uh, for the last couple of weeks. The setup was not fantastic, and I apologize for that because I had sent you an email, and then your email back to me went into my junk folder for some reason. So then it was a whole month, and I was like, you know, I never heard from Pastor Mike. Is he ghosting me? <laughs> and then I checked my junk folder, and sure enough, there it was. You'd responded like the very next day I'd sent the email. So then I felt like, oh, I can't believe I just dropped the ball. So thank you for your graciousness in 
allowing some time to pass and still being willing to come on the podcast. Oh man. Yeah. I was listening to your podcast after thinking that you were ghosting me and you had made some reference, like things falling through. I'm like, Oh, does he think I stood him up? So it was a real, our, our relationship started off on an awkward foot, but I feel yeah. like we're rebuilding things. <laughs> we, we are, it's good. Well, and that, that, you know, we've, we've had some conversation in the past too, because I don't remember, was that maybe 2018 or something we had, uh, cross paths at the Christian leadership experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. and I think I was working a booth there and I think you were probably presenting, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. yep. And, uh, yeah, so it was good to, to kind of cross paths there. I know we had a little bit of an overlap in college years, but didn't really cross paths at that point either. So no, that's kind that of was, like near misses almost. Yeah. That was more than a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I'm finding my brain is like, oh man, that was a half a lifetime ago when I, it uh, feels like began. it. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, so we're still, it, we're still young and vibrant, right? We're, absolutely. Have you gotten to that point in middle age where you just like, nope, like this ship, <laughs> this ship isn't getting any faster. <laughs> well, so my oldest son uh, turned 16 in Ooh. May and he's, he's a big guy, a uh, big, strong football, basketball player, lacrosse player. Um, he's now surpassed me in height. Um, oh. And, and uh, I'm, I'm not short, but he's, um, yeah, he's got an inch on me now. And so for his 16th birthday, cause he loves basketball, he's like, let's, let's play 21 out in the driveway. So he and myself and my other uh, second oldest son, we played 21. And I think it was just beat up on dad night, I think is what it was. Cause I was, you know, so incredibly sore. I'm like, so this ship is not getting any faster and is not able to jump any higher. Oh man. This is how God keeps us humble as we grow in wisdom. He just makes sure that teenagers can dominate us in all physical activities. I know. I know. I hit a couple of jump shots in his face. I will say that. <laughs> and those are the ones you made like a YouTube collage of just to remind you. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. Uh, so one of the reasons why I asked you on the podcast, Mike, is to talk about a book that you have written recently, which I want to talk about. The book is entitled Three Words That Will Change Your Life. And <clears throat> before we dive into that book, I think maybe it's just good uh, for you to do some introductions to our audience. Kind of tell us a little bit about yourself uh, personally, professionally, um, and then talk a little bit about where you're at currently. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to. Maybe the most important thing about me is that three weeks ago, I bought four tickets to a Justin Bieber concert. Justin Bieber's still performing concerts. <laughs> oh my goodness, Ben. The fact that you didn't know that I'm going to be a counselor now to you to figure <laughs> I was actually going to ask your professional advice on what that means about me, that I might be more excited about the concert than my 12 year old daughter. <laughs> That's. Well, that's something. That, that is, is something something, something yeah, so. to know about you, Mike. <laughs> Everyone is turning off the podcast right now. <laughs> this is going to be a train wreck. <laughs> yeah, so I've been married for 18 years. Uh, met Kim freshman year of college at Martin Luther College. First ever girlfriend. So we got married in 2003. Uh, we have two daughters, an almost 13-year-old and an almost 12-year-old, which has just been incredible. I thought I wanted 
to raise sons and having daughters is just God has humbled and amazed. And I'm, I'm sure sons are great too, but I, I can't imagine not having daughters. Uh, I am a pastor in Appleton, Wisconsin at a church called The Core. Been here for about seven years. Uh, my wife's a preschool teacher. And a couple of years ago, I got asked to be the second lead speaker for Time of Grace. So if people have heard of that national media ministry started by an amazingly gifted pastor, Mark Jeske, uh, he was kind of landing the plane um, he's still doing ministry, amazing ministry. So I kind of took over for him as a primary TV speaker and writer. So um, my job right now is kind of thirds. Um, uh, about a third of it is writing and recording for Time of Grace. The books like the one we're going to talk about today, a third preaching, preparing for it, and then a third um, just kind of local pastoral work here in Appleton. So I get a little bit of everything. Um, passions, besides listening to Justin Bieber music, which does happen every day in our home. Uh, I play soccer, so I've played for 35 years straight. I do distance running, so I'm training for a marathon. And um, yeah, let me stop there. That's about- That's cool. That's good stuff. That uh, <clears throat> A good scope, a little history, a little contemporary stuff. So I appreciate that that introduction. How how big of a, of a church is the core at this point? Yeah, so we are the downtown campus of what we call 922 Ministries. So St. Peter Lutheran Church in Appleton is about 150 plus years old. Um, they have a campus and we have a campus. So we share a budget, we share staff, we share a school, resources, pastoral staff. So totally the two campuses were about 2,400 members. Wow. And about 500 of those are downtown at the core where I spend 90% of my time. Yeah. Yeah, and that's where you do a lot of the recording, like for Time of Grace Ministries. Is that correct? True too? Yeah, if people if people catch us on TV, we record about a year in advance, and we kind of rebuilt our <clears throat> new location here about a year ago, and that's where the producer studio is, and all the cameras are set up. So, yep, mm -hmm. it gets filmed right here in Appleton. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, like the book that we're going to talk about today, um, this is really a, a an like an offshoot of Time of Grace, or this is really kind of like a central piece to Time of Grace Ministries? Yeah, Time of Grace for years had wanted to write, you know, we try to bring the gospel on all different platforms, uh, podcasts, YouTube, Instagram, TV, print, about uh, Pastor Jeske had done some kind of question and answer books from a lot of the Q&A that he got, but had... okay. Um, I'm not sure if you didn't have the passion to kind of write a full length book that just wasn't, um, you know, what, what grabbed his heart. So when I came in, Time of Grace had asked, you know, we were really interested in this book idea. Um, what do you think about it? And I really enjoy writing and the process of writing. So they kind of opened the doors and said, if you could write about one thing, what would it be? And this, the, uh, kind of origin story of where the book came from. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so let's dive into that a little bit. This, this idea of three words that will change your life. Um, you know, <clears throat> some things that I'll say upfront, like in reading the book, um, one, I just really appreciated the conversational tone to the book. Like mm -hmm. I've, I'm, I mean, I've, I've heard you speak. So even like, as I was reading, like I could hear you mm -hmm. just just coming through the page, just the, the, your, your inflection, you know, I could even kind of visualize you. So it's a very, um, authentic, I think, representation of like who you are just as a person. And sure. I think that's kind of hard to do in a book. Like there's 
I would imagine there's so much pressure when writing a full length book, you know, to, to have things be just so, you know, lots of edits, lots of revisions, those kind of things. And that I feel like sometimes that authenticity gets lost and it certainly does not in this book. And so that's one of the things that I absolutely loved about it. Thank you. Yeah. They were, the publisher was really generous. I'm, I find it very hard to be serious, which makes me the worst pastor at funerals. (laughs) (laughs) So they, they let me put in all my lame, like footnoted jokes, which just made me smile. And I thought if, if no one else likes this, I'm, I'm enjoying the process. So they were, as a first time author, I wasn't sure if they would give me that much leeway, but I'm grateful they did. How, how is the rehabilitation for the sloth addiction progressing? <laughs> I, I've been praying about this and I'm just, I'm just curious. Oh, Ben, it's only gotten worse. Yeah, my youngest daughter loves sloths and she, she probably has 30 stuffed sloth animals in her bedroom right now, next to sloth calendars, posters, sure. pillows, pajamas. So I, <laughs> I need your clinical expertise to, to help because I'm a, I'm a little afraid for her. Well, I don't think I'm going to be much help because one of my younger sons um, has loved bunnies, rabbits, like forever. And he has as many bunnies as, as sloths in your house, I think. And, and they all have names. They, yes. all, they, all, they all have names. They all have a personality, you know, so it's, um, it's I, I just, I can't help you. I, I really can't. It's, it's a, but it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's just a beautiful thing. It really is. Sometimes the best counseling is just sympathy, right? So maybe yeah. we can. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, no, <clears throat> I, I, if you haven't read the book, if you, if this is the first time as a podcast listener and you're like, oh, what is this book? Like I would actually suggest getting the book on Kindle because all of the little footnotes are like little blue you know, you can just tap them. You don't have to flip pages to get. So then it just kind of pops up at the bottom of the Kindle screen. So it Mm -hmm. makes accessing those footnotes in the moment of reading, you know, Mm -hmm. that much more enjoyable. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so just the, the levity that you bring to your writing too is, is really fantastic. And, Mm -hmm. and then from a practical standpoint, um, the, kind of reflective discussion type uh, prompts at the end of each chapter, I mm. think are also really helpful because uh, this is this is something that I've had other guests kind of talk about. Um, and it's probably a theme that comes up from time to time just in the well mind is uh, taking time to step back and actually reflect. You know, we, we have so much input Mm-hmm. Um, and we're very focused on output then and accomplishing things. And so there's very little space to be able to just step back in some quietness and really, um, as one of my professors used to say in my undergrad, like inwardly digest mm. some of these pieces. And so the prompts I think really lend themselves to being able to do that. So I hope that as people are reading that they stop and they take advantage of that reflective time because, because it is really an enjoyable read. So I think somebody could sit down and they could almost read it like too quickly. Mm. Right. So having those kind of stop points, I think are really, really helpful. How did you decide just to structure the book in that way? Yeah, probably two reasons. Um, a theological one and a practical one. 
Um, I've heard maybe about half the podcast you've done, but has anyone talked about the Hebrew word haga? No, that's that that will be new. Okay, yeah, I, I know James Hine, who you've had on a couple times, who's yep. amazing. Um, I, I think I've heard him talk about this too. In in the first Psalm, where it talks about the blessed person who kind of thrives like a tree planted by streams of water, bears its fruit in season. Um, the word there it says, "Blessed is the one." who meditates on God's word day and night. And the Hebrew word for meditate is haga. And it literally means to make like a low groaning sound, like when you chew on food. So in other Hebrew passages, if I always picture like a dog with a bone, you know, it doesn't just like, yeah, it's like, yeah. Right. Some ASMR there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's the, the blessed person, according to someone, isn't just the one who zips through Christian books or checks my little devotional box on the Bible app. The one who is blessed is the one who, who slows down and, and meditates on it. And so I know I don't do that enough, but I've found that I, I really get as a Christian, I get little out of my devotions when I just read them and close the book. I get a ton out of my devotions when I take a short section, read it, reread it, get out my pen to mark up the page, read it again, like almost set a timer. And and so a little bit of the structure that you mentioned was that like there are, you're going to think maybe because of the footnotes and jokes, like, Oh, it's just a fun book. Let's laugh and get through it. Like, no, I want you to laugh, but I want you to slow down and haga on this thing. Yeah, savor I want, it. You, to, I want you to chew on it because it might sound like a gimmicky marketing title. Oh, it's going to change your life. But really biblically, the concepts that I've tried to explore do change people's lives in all the right ways. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's a little bit of where the structure came from. Yeah, yeah. So, so this, um, yeah, so that title, right? three words that will change your life. Like that's kind of a, that's a big promise, isn't it? <laughs> I, in my defense, change I stole, your life. I stole it from the Bible. I did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk about that. Like, so, so much of, of, you know, our focus, my focus um, in these episodes is really to help people um, understand where their wellness comes from in all the different facets, all the different nuances, um, but also understand too what some threats to that wellness are. Mm-hmm. So those three words, can I, can I say them? It's not a spoiler or anything, right? As long as you say them in the correct way, yes. God is here. Yes, okay, all right. Well done. I probably just blew out somebody's speakers or their eardrum <laughs> at that point. <laughs> and this podcast sponsored by Joe's uh, yeah. AIDS. <laughs> yes, those are yes. the three words. God, caps lock, is here. Yeah, yeah. So, so this, this, um, the, these, these words, and you're saying this is going to change your life, um, and and changing it towards wellness. But I think. And, and we can get into this as you talk about the book. That doesn't always mean <clears throat> or translate into uh, temporal 
wellness. Mm-hmm. But but you're you're talking about a different kind of life changing wellness. Could you could you speak a little bit about that, Mike, in your own words? Yeah, yeah. By saying God is here, I'm not saying that any of your problems will go away or necessarily get better. Uh, I'm not saying, hey, at the end of 200 pages, you're going to find love, get your dream job, finally overcome that anxiety. And like, here, here's the, the magic pill. Uh, the premise of the book, and I honestly think it's the premise of almost the entire Bible, is that the presence of the right person can change you right now. I think about that, you know, as a, as a father, I have a really bad day, all these problems to think about at work. And I walk through the door and my daughter comes running up and just gives me the biggest hug. Like the, the presence of a compassionate, loving person changed me in that moment. Um, or, or a counseling day, let's, you're just in a rough spot with mental health and you step into the office of your counselor. Like just the presence of their patients their empathy, their wisdom. I'm sure you you hear clients say all the time, it just feels good to talk. Like you didn't push a button and like undo the problems, but you, you know, those little parts about your character that are a lot like God make a huge difference. So I'm kind of thinking, yeah, sometimes you have, you see the counselor, you see the pastor, it's your daughter or it's your friend, but there's actually someone much bigger, much better who has called himself an ever-present help in trouble. And so change your life doesn't mean the circumstances of your life, but your perspective on it. Um, Bringing God, or not bringing him into the room, but recognizing he is in the room and he is not a small God that like says, oh, just wait till heaven, I'll make it better. Like he wants his presence in the present to do something with our hearts and with our souls. Yeah, yeah, which... <clears throat> is really that first part that you're emphasizing in the book by having God in all caps and saying we need to think of God more. And I think you also put it like um, think more of God, mm-hmm. right? What, what um, I guess, what two distinctions are you making there? Yeah. Um, frequency, like let's think of him more often. It's not just on Sundays when we're in church or saying bedtime prayers. Um, you know, Hebrews 12 talks about fixing your thoughts on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. So I wanna find ways to like, man, th- think about the presence of God more often throughout my day. It's a, a big practical part of the book a little bit later on. But then not just to say, well, he's here and I guess that's nice. But man, what I really want is this person or this blessing. So to think more of God is to think I could find love. I could have a child. I could get the job. I could get the raise. I could get the praise. I could cure this anxiety. I could cure this cancer, but all of that would be so small next to my thoughts of God. Like the old hymn, take the world, but give me Jesus. Or Psalm 84, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I want to think so much of God that everything else in comparison to him is nothing. It, it's not that it's nothing by itself. 
it's the fact that it's nothing next to God. Mm-hmm. And this is the truth, I think, if you look at David or Paul, that made them so weird. The stuff they would say is just absurd, you know, from jail when Paul writes and he writes this epistle of joy in Philippians. Like, how, how does that guy do that in that situation? Mm-hmm. And, and the answer is, he knows he's in the presence of a glorious God through the saving work of, of Jesus, the Christ. Yeah, yeah. So as, as, you, as you encounter people, whether in a, you know, a professional capacity, maybe in pastoral counseling or just ministering to people um, in, in kind of quiet moments <clears throat> or in your personal life as you interact with friends and family and, and these kind of things, how does that, you know, that, that idea of thinking of God more and thinking more of God, how does, how does that play out for you in those kind of, mm. I guess, intimate, personal kind of settings? Yeah. Um, a pastor <clears throat> who was using this book, I think for a Bible study, um, he emailed me about a week or two ago, and I didn't know this about him, that he, he really deals with ministry anxiety. He just worries I'm going to do this visit. I'm going to say the wrong thing. What if I can't help? Or what if people get mad at my message? And it was like overwhelming for him. And he, he said, the after reading the book, the turning point for him was, you know, I, I get out of my car to knock on this person's door. And no matter what happens in the next hour, when I get back in the car, God, he's going to be right there like a God whose face is shining on us and is gracious to us, who looks on us with favor, like this glorious God, like that is the constant. So I'm anxious because I can't predict how people will react to my ministry. But here is this, I mean, that is God is here, just this constant Mm -hmm. source of peace, wholeness. My spiritual wellness comes from that. So Mm -hmm. I I could really relate to what he said. I, I don't deal with the same kind of anxiety, but, you know, as a guy who gets to speak to lots and lots of people through a television set and YouTube videos, I get, I get a lot of feedback, <laughs> a, lot, a, lot, a lot of feedback. I, I get more amazing stories of blessing people and I get more criticism than I ever would have imagined. And just knowing that Isaiah 2 verse 22 says, what, what is man who has but a breath in his nostrils? <laughs> like... My fiercest critic is a human being who is nothing, nothing next to my father in heaven who adores me. Yeah. Like there's just something not just theologically correct, but so emotionally satisfying about that, Mm -hmm. that the one whose opinion matters most because of Christ, his opinion about me will never change. Yeah. You know, I, and thank you. I, I appreciate those insights because as I think about um, sources of our wellness, but also a lot of maybe threats to our wellness, so much of that is wrapped up in our relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you at one point reference in the book, um, OCD, but not in the sense of uh, clinical OCD, like I would think about it. And I was like, oh, how is, where's he going to go here? But you said obsessive comparison disorder. Right. And that's all about, I know that's an internal thing, 
but it's still an interpersonal, it's still a relational thing where whether we're interacting with somebody on a personal level or on a professional level, um, you know, we're wanting to kind of present our best selves, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and sometimes that diminishes our authenticity when really so much of what we're invited to do as brothers and sisters is to be authentic with one another. You know, that that's where so much richness and so much depth can, um, has an opportunity to grow mm -hmm. in those moments, but it's so difficult to get there. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, well, if God is here, there's like, there's like the safety net around that relationship. Like we're not going to say things perfectly. So maybe I'm disclosing something to a close friend. I'm terrified that they're going to judge me. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that, that, that keeps me stuck or, or I'm listening to somebody pour their heart out and I have no idea what to say. Mm. Right. And, That's and I, and I'm just kind of frozen. And so then their worst fear kind of becomes realized, oh, my friend is judging me because they're not saying anything. And, and yes. my worst fear is realized because here they are pouring out and I'm just a, do, a doofus. Like I have no idea what to say, you know, but, but this idea of God's presence in those moments of those close, personal, intimate moments yes. to me creates that safety net. Oh, yeah. Human approval just gets to be the icing on the cake. It's the added bonus that God puts on top of the satisfaction I already found in him. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm smiling a couple nights ago. So um, Time of Grace goes into a lot of prisons and jails. So I get quite a few letters. We get a lot of letters from men and women watching in prison. Um, one guy, um, he speaks Spanish and English, and he told a Spanish-speaking relative, you need to talk to Pastor Mike about your marriage problems. So this week, the relative comes in, I speak okay Spanish, not great. And it turns out to be one of the hardest counseling situations of my life, adultery, you know, woman sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. And my brain, it's like nine o'clock at night, we're two hours in, my Caucasian brain is so tired and exhausted from just trying to understand. And I'm not a good counselor to begin with. And I can't, I literally like she was in such, they were in such desperate need. And I, I couldn't even put together a sentence. Mm. And in that moment, it was like, so like, I am so sorry. Like, I, I, I want to be here for you and say the right thing and comfort you. And I could, I opened my Spanish Bible and I could barely read the words off the page. My brain was so mushy, you know, and getting back into the car, maybe like that pastor I referenced before, like, wow, I, I stink as a person. <laughs> like I have totally, totally failed. These people were reaching out thinking I could be, you know, part of their hope and their healing. Just reminding myself of that moment to just close my eyes and see with the eyes of faith um, that there is someone who's still in the room who's not mad. He doesn't think I'm pathetic. He, he hasn't changed his expression. Um, <laughs> Because Jesus' obedience was perfect, uh, I get to enjoy this constant, perfect smile on the face of my Father in heaven. So, yeah, whether you get two likes on your Instagram picture, you, you drop the ball in a counseling session, you don't impress your boss, you don't get a date for the prom. Like, there's always those moments when we want to self-loathe and just yeah. think about, look in the mirror. 
And instead we look to the cross and through the cross and we see something that is just so good that I'm going to spend the rest of my life thinking about it and I'm still not going to get close, but it will be my source of, of everything. Yeah. Boy. And I can, uh, I can empathize on a number of levels just with the story that you told about the language piece. And, um, I am not multilingual. Um, well, at least my German doesn't really help me in a counseling setting. <laughs> I'm not seeing too many German clients, <laughs> but, um, but when I, when I worked for the hospital system in Sioux Falls, uh, inevitably there was a, a huge variety of clients that I would work with on the inpatient unit mm -hmm. that were not native English speakers. Um, mm -hmm. and their English was, even if it was, uh, good conversationally, it wasn't going to be adequate for us to communicate mm -hmm. in a medical sense. And so yeah. it was always using a translator. Um, and, and it's amazing how, you know, just trying to talk about something like trauma mm. and convey everything that's wrapped up in that into a different language that maybe mm. doesn't have, you know, a one-to-one -one kind of word for that. Mm. Um, yes. Yes. And just, the, the, how labor intensive that is. Mm. So I, I mean, it's just, it's incredibly difficult. It, it's sometimes you you almost feel like you're in an impossible situation, which is a little bit what it sounds like it felt that night. <laughs> it really did. Yeah. So that, I mean, this is why to me, the book is, and, and the theology of it is so practical. There are just sometimes when life is not what you want it to be. Yeah. And you can either focus on those imperfections and stress and lament, you know, fear that you're going to do it again, or you can run to this refuge and tower and rock that is always dependable. So, mm -hmm. yeah. You, um, you had referenced me having uh, Pastor James Hine on the podcast. We, we just, that's a very recent episode uh, where we talk a lot about suffering and mm -hmm. some of those some of those same themes kind of came through as I was reading the book too. And you use the word uh, this and that. And we've talked um, a bit about this without naming it explicitly in, in terms of some tremendous blessings and like uh, things that say, when we, when we look at that, like, oh, God is even greater than this, you know, mm. like yeah. this is just kind of a, a foretaste. But then what we're talking about now is more that kind of moments, I think, right? Yeah. Could you just from from the perspective or the language that you're using in the book with that, because um, I think I think it's helpful. And I just wonder if you could kind of provide an overview of that. Yeah, I'd love to. First, can I say I have a, a pastoral man crush on James Hine and it's not it's not just is it the hair? It, it, it part, it's the hair the fashionable sweaters and just the things that come out of his mouth are so brilliant. So I have, when I look through your podcast list, like I, I jumped to listen to his, no disrespect to anyone else. I'm like anything sure. James Hines says, I am interested in hearing. So that <laughs> the guy's brilliant. I mean, he really is. I just, I can't, there's no two ways about it. <laughs> he's too young to be that smart. It just, I'm trying not to be jealous about it, but he's awesome. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Just, we'll just let it be a compliment. That's what it is. It's not about comparison, Mike. Oh. It's not comparison. <laughs> when I have church members saying, did you hear this James Hine podcast? Like, 
That's what that's wonderful. Yes, thank you. <laughs> All right, back to your serious question. Yeah, so this and that are basically taking the good or the bad of life and using them to get back to God. So if the premise of the book is thinking big thoughts about the God who is right here can change your life. Well, how do we do that? Okay. Think more about God. Like practically, how do I get there? So yeah, this, I think you summarized it well is taking everything good and saying, wow, if, if this can make me feel this way, imagine God, if a funny meme from a friend can bright my day, Mm -hmm. imagine God, if a well-cooked hamburger or a, a nice glass of wine or a last minute goal for my favorite soccer team. Imagine God. So yeah, th this is just a, a day by day, hour by hour way to think bigger thoughts about God. The kind of corollary is what I call that are the, the painful moments where we can take them and put them into this paradigm of God is going to make that feel like nothing. Um, kind of the basis of this for me is Romans 8, verse 18, where Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. And I, I think about that, like, that's almost insulting for him to say, I mean, the deep tr pain, trauma, the difficulties of life, the, the chronic stuff that many of us live with, for Paul to say, not even worth comparing, like, we don't even have to get out the scale to measure this. If you could just see God. Mm -hmm. So in a way, then the negative experience can be, uh, you know, I'm praying, God, I can't even sleep today because my, my, my back pain is so bad. You must be so good. If when I see you for one second, this is going to seem like nothing. Yeah. So it's kind of like these two these two on-ramps onto the highway of a big God, the good stuff, the bad stuff. And we can start to train our brain habitually to jump to those things just to get us focused on the, the glory and majesty of God. So I, I, I love that. And at the same time, I'm thinking, man, that's a tough one. Mm. Yeah, I'm a counselor. I'm, <clears throat> I've been told I'm in the business of reframing. Are you familiar with that yes. uh, counseling term of reframing? It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at one, a situation from one perspective, mm -hmm. but I need to, I need to shift or adjust my perspective on this. I need to reframe this in a different way mm -hmm. because if I can think about this differently, my experience of it as a result will be different. Mm -hmm. um, the, the example that I always use is a, um, you know, small community, everybody knows one another and a tornado comes through that community and it obliterates the houses in that community. And two neighbors are standing outside the next day, looking at where their house used to be. And one of the, one of the people says, this is, this is it. I, I don't know how I'm going to ever recover from this. Everything is gone. My house is destroyed. I've lost everything. Um, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and the person right next to them says, I can't believe this happened. I'm so glad that we made it out safely. Mm. Um, these are things 
a lot of important things have been lost, but the most important things we still have, and that's each other. And we, and we can get through this and rebuild. So mm -hmm. same situation, very different perspectives, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's what you're kind of calling people to do as you're talking about that, because there's, you know, I was referencing trauma, like when, when people experience trauma, I mean, it, it isn't just a memory, but it's a, it's a, a full body experience mm -hmm. and it affects emotionally, physically, spiritually, every, every aspect of their being. Mm. And to reframe that, yep. to, to, to put it to that. And, and I think, man, that's tough. Yes. Yeah. There is no, maybe I should have had the, that chapter heading be parentheses and it won't be easy. Mm -hmm. So a, a lot of what we're talking about, I think is the, the Christian life. It's the life of sanctification, which is a, a journey, which we're going to do the right thing. And then the wrong thing, and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit's help to do the right thing more often tomorrow. So yeah, reframing the good and the bad, the pleasure and the pain. I mean, the, there's a hundred good things that happened to me yesterday and I probably didn't think about God once. <laughs> right. So it, it's not easy. Um, especially when you're talking about really traumatic pain, but mm -hmm. you know, when I, well, what convinces me that it's a, a worthy message is the fact that the, the people who wrote this didn't have a silver spoon in their mouth. Um, David's Psalms were not written just when he was kicking it in the palace. It's when he was running in the wilderness for his life. Mm -hmm. Um, Paul's comments on these come from his prison epistles where he had suffered incredible trauma. You know, think of his abuse in second oh, Corinthians yeah. 11 that he endured. And yet this is the man beaten who, and stoned and yeah, yeah, exactly. So I would encourage someone who's just really wrestling like this seems a bit unrealistic. Just meditate on Romans eight, especially the second half where Paul really unpacks this idea uh, of the purpose that God can use for our pain to make us almost salivate for the sight of him and his glory. Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes, um, I, uh, I guess a pathway for me is how I, how I would describe it is, um, that, that in suffering, in pain, um, there is an opportunity for us to kind of let go of this, desire to just fix things or to make things better. Like mm. that, I, I don't know if that's strictly an American thing, but I think it's especially American mm. <laughs> um, to just always want to make things better. Mm. And that, that's the, like the weird part in counseling is that counseling, you know, like as a counselor, it's not always about making things better, but mm. it's about being able to endure better some of the things that we can't change. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's just one of the pathways. Um, and boy, that takes a lot of patience and, and presence to just kind of sit with people in that. Um, and I think about just from a personal standpoint, then as, as people listening, as they're thinking about that, that friend or that relative that is like in that pain and suffering that you, you can also let go of that desire to like make that better. Mm -hmm. Right. And just by showing up and being with them and having this moments with them mm -hmm. um, is, is 
is just a, a, that's a really powerful way to be a brother or sister to somebody. Wow. That is well said. I'm terrible at that, but that is well said. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that nudge. Um, <laughs> I, th- I think, I mean, boy, we, you know, we have blinders on, you know, it's like, I, I enjoy running too. And I, I enjoy running on some trails near my house and that those trails are shared with uh, horseback riders. And a lot of them, right, they have those blinders on so that they can't uh, see what's going on on the side. But I still, when when the horse is coming down the trail, I still step way off. I like, I am getting out of the way, you know. I do not want to be kicked, you know, I don't want to startle this thing. But, but I, I think that's kind of a picture of like how we operate. We're just kind of like looking at the path right in front of us with these blinders on and it takes intention and attention to be able to to peel those back and see the other people around us, see the other needs around us. Yeah. Well, well said. So speaking of running, mm. uh, on the other side of things, you talk about the religious treadmill, and that seems like something that is really uh, uh, could sabotage our spiritual wellness and our and our relational wellness. I think you had preached a sermon from a treadmill once. <laughs> I did. Is that is that accurate? Is that a real story? It is a real story. Yeah, we hooked up um, a treadmill. It, uh, this is before I was at the core, so it was a little bit more traditional church where I would normally wear a robe while I would preach, but not this time. Okay. I uh, hooked up my microphone pack to my running shorts. Yeah, and, the, short, uh, the shorties. <laughs> no, no? I, didn't, okay. I didn't do that to people. <laughs> <All right. laughs> you would have many more counseling hours if I had worn the, the three-inch shorts. Yeah, the split shorts, right? Yeah. Oh, Anyways, continue. Yes. Yeah. So, so the premise was like a lot of religion and even a lot of kind of versions of quote-unquote Christian religion put you on this treadmill and it just keeps going faster and faster and faster and it never stops. You know, you, you can't really enjoy your relationship with God until you, until you pray. Okay. Well now I pray, I could pray more and well, my, my mind wanders when I pray. So now I have to be more focused in prayer. Now I need to pray continually and just, and, Oh, I used to pray last year, but man, I'm not doing it like I used to do. And there's this never ending cycle of behaviors that could be better or could be improved or I do this well, but I don't do that well. And so I'm preaching about this and I'm, as I'm preaching, I'm just clicking up the little speed arrow button and kind of a, a brisk walk turns into a jog. And by like the culmination of the sermon turns into as fast as this thing can go. So I'm sprinting and trying to preach. <laughs> and uh, in, in one of my, my favorite moments of uh, of 14 years of preaching, i I grab the handles and I jump off the treadmill and I just let it spin and I hit the power button and I don't say a word until it's totally quiet and say, but this is Christianity. Like no treadmill, no doing enough or going faster. And so you can finally get to God. Like none of us can get there. Jesus says, come to me. If you're weary and I will give you rest. Yeah. So, um, you know, to me, the work of Christ, which is finished, thank God. And the presence of God, 
isn't based on my behavior. So the, the good news of the book is right now in this room, whether this is the best moral day of my Christian life or the worst, like with me, with you in the podcast studio, like God is, he is right here in this moment. And it's just kind of a, for me, a fresh way to think about, you know, what theologians would call the law and the gospel, justification and sanctification. Like the justifying work is done. I'm saved. I'm good. And now out of a joyful heart, his love compels me to run the good race, not on a treadmill, um, but because I already have his approval and his, his affection. It becomes something that we get to do. Yes. Rather than something that we need or have to do. Yes. Yeah. The, the pressure is off. Yeah. I heard a pastor once say, God isn't waiting to love the 2.0 version of you. I like that. Yeah, I do too. So much of uh, how we're, I think, programmed is to focus on effort. And I get, I don't know, I get nervous, I guess, a little bit from a counseling standpoint, because um, like, it's a lot of work to assist people in backing away from uh, a lot of focus on the outcome. You know, so we're very driven by like, this is my goal. This is what I want to achieve. This mm -hmm. is the outcome that I want either in my marriage or in my job or with my kids or something. And, and so then we're, we're so focused on that, that we, uh, we lack mindfulness or awareness of the present. And mm -hmm. we, we just, we miss out on so many uh, beautiful things and opportunities right here and now, because we're like, I just got to get there. I just got to get there. And mm -hmm. so there's so much work that goes into uh, stepping out of that mindset and into a mindset of being more process focused of like, I'm going to mm -hmm. really enjoy this process. I'm going to find meaning and value in this process. But I mm -hmm. guess the part from a, from a Christian standpoint where I get nervous is that then does that inadvertently translate over into um, our, our spiritual life and how we view that as like, oh, my spiritual life is this process, like the treadmill of, of things that I, I'm going to be doing. And, and so as I pray, yeah, I'm enjoying that, but it's actually the, the practice of praying that becomes the focus rather mm -hmm. than um, being something of a celebration of what I get to do because of mm -hmm. my status in Christ. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that, that's something, it's just actually something that I've been thinking about more recently because I've been thinking of working on some mindfulness things and how to integrate, um, uh, our spiritual life into just mindful ways of being. Um, but then I, yeah, like I said, I just get nervous that then it becomes focused on our own effort. Mm -hmm. I get it. I, I don't have an exact quote, but I've heard that Martin Luther said the difference between the law and the gospel is so easy. A little, a little kid could repeat it to you in catechism, knowing like how and when and to whom to apply either law or gospel is so difficult. Uh, Luther said you should be a doctor of theology if you can do it well. Mm. So when do you, when do you push people like the Bible does to say, no, we, we aim and strive for perfection. We, we never minimize a single sin. We never say A minus behavior is okay. 
you know, so there is a, not just, Hey, you do you try your best. Like that is not biblical theology. No, no, because we need to live in a sacrificial manner. There, there's a, a, so much like giving up of ourselves that happens as being a follower of Christ. Yeah. So you, you can see that you can see why people get focused on behavior process, improvement, sanctification, but then there's this whole other category of promises. You know, I think Lutheran theology re really tries to hold that tension of pushing for perfection, resting in Christ, allowing that to motivate us to push for perfection again. You know, it's this little tension and dance. And some days we, we pull too far one way and some days too far the other. Um, and I think that's where, where community really helps to have a counselor, a pastor, or some friends who can say, okay, I love your passion for prayer, but it seems like this has become a burden for you instead of a privilege. Mm. You know, let's rest in the gospel of this. This is your father who loves you, who wants to talk to you, wants to hear mm. from you. Um, and there might be other times when we say, dude, like you find time for Netflix and, and you don't pray for anyone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, so it, it's in relationship and, you know, good. Yeah, there's a context, but I, I actually, those two words, burden and I think privilege yeah. was the other one, burden and privilege that, that again, that's good. That's a good framework for me to be able to think about what, yeah, I guess what I'm doing, but then where that's coming from is that is, is there a burden attached to that? Because that's what the law does. Boy, mm -hmm. that law is great as a heavy burden. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm feeling that, that that's an indication that I'm really being driven by the law in that moment. Mm -hmm. But if I feel privileged, like, like, awesome. I, I can't believe I get to do this. You know, mm -hmm. like we have our, we have our, our team meeting for the counseling program here at Bethany on Tuesday mornings. And we start during the summer, we, we just start with devotion as our team. During the school year, we're able to attend chapel service here, which is a privilege. And, and I, I love that. But we, yeah, coming in and like having a, a devotion and then talking about it as a team and gathering around the word at the start of our meeting, like that, that really does feel like a privilege. Mm. Yeah. That is, I was trying to have an... I know I'm biased about this, but I was trying to talk to my daughters about other religions and just, it. I, I was really curious. I should ask more people who hold to Hindu or, or Muslim teaching, like what, what is that like to, to not have grace essentially, mm -hmm. you know, where these works are really being put on the scale to judge you when all is said and done. Um, and whenever I think about that, it just reframes my own Christian life. Like, wow, what an amazing thing to strive to be a strong man of prayer, knowing that the pressure is off. And I already know how this, the outcome of where things go for me at the end of life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I think that's like, I mean, without uh, Titus two says grace teaches us to live upright and godly lives, mm -hmm. you know? So and just the, the wellness that comes from having a foundation of grace, a refuge that you can always run back to um, just, yeah. It's beautiful theology. It's, it can get technical and difficult, but at the end of the day, it really is practical and uh, life-giving. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. you, you made reference to having a refuge to come back to. And, and I think you, uh, again, you set this well, uh, set it up well in the book. 
And uh, so I, I definitely want to encourage people to, again, if they haven't read it, if they haven't looked at it, definitely do that after listening to this podcast. But there's a, a part in there where you are talking about this idea of refuge and mm-hmm. um, kind of visually represent that as, as uh, like fortified walls, right? And, and inside of those walls, there are um, certain blessings. And as I went through, I think there's what eight, I think, yeah, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Um, I wrote them down here in my little, in my, you can't, people listening aren't going to be able to see this, but I'm showing Mike my little book here. So I've got my little refuge box here mm. with the words written inside. And I thought, you know, some of those um, either come uh, maybe kind of, I don't know, naturally. I don't want to say naturally because none of these things are natural. All of them are alien. They're all from God. But I think some of them are maybe easier for me to access. Um, And then others seem like more, a a little bit more challenging. Um, So like when I, like gratitude, that's something that I set for myself as a personal intention for for this year to really grow in gratitude, um, mm. just in my relationships, um, in my um, professional life, personal life, family, all of these kind of things, just to be in a space of gratitude more mm. frequently. And so mm. I think, oh, that's that's right there. That's inside of this res- refuge that mm. we have a, a ever everlasting source of gratitude mm. uh, through relationship with our Father. Um, and so then my gratitudes throughout my day become this, right? If I'm grateful for this and mm-hmm. I am grateful for so much yeah. more with God. Um, but I think like um, this fearlessness, that one's a harder one for me to mm-hmm. access, I yeah. think. Um, because I, I oftentimes, I don't know if this happens to you, Mike, but I oftentimes get kind of weighed down with um, just sometimes the, the magnitude of certain responsibilities, whether that's as a parent or as a professional, like as a counselor or as a educator or something. And I just think, man, I have been entrusted with so much responsibility here that to be fear, to have that fearlessness as I go into these spaces is kind of hard because mm-hmm. there's this like tension, there's this anxiety about, um, how this is going to go. And if I'm going to, if I'm going to be as responsible as I need to be with it. So Mm. I'm wondering, I don't know what your thoughts are with that piece. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the point in that chapter is while you might be a little bit nervous or cognizant of the, the amazing calling that God has given you as a counselor, an educator, a parent, at the end of the day, even if you botch it, which I do, you still have God. Thank, thank you for clearing that up for our listeners. Yep. <laughs> your, which, your, which I do. Your kids were about to comment in that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, to, to me, that's the fearlessness of it. I don't have to fear. I might do today well. I, I might totally blow it. I don't have to fear losing God. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'm trying to remind myself that God is by far 
the best and only needful thing of my entire existence. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you end up with this kind of functional salvation by works. You know, Ben has to, Ben better work hard and Ben better prepare because if, if Ben doesn't get his kids through this stage of life or Ben isn't the best faculty member, like, wow, what life won't be worth living. Um, you'll be such a fit. Like that is this weird, like not get to heaven by works, but find my daily satisfaction in my works. And that's the more practical thing for maybe those of us who believe in Christian theology that it's by grace. We normally apply it to eternity. We don't often enough apply it to right now. Have you figured out some ways to make that, um, I guess, tangible in the here and now? Um, yeah, I... So years ago, do you remember when the song I Can Only Imagine came on? Is Christian this a Justin Bieber song? Yes. No. Okay. Well, if it's a Christian radio, it's not Justin Bieber. <laughs> Justin Bieber just was baptized, FYI, and put out a six-track Christian album at Easter. But I'm that's so the, behind the times. I'm sorry, Mike. Everyone is officially logging off now because they cannot believe that you don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. For, forgive me for I know not what I have done. <laughs> so you're asking for practical ways. Yeah, practical um, ways. Sorry. Yeah. So this, this uh, song that I think is maybe one of the most popular Christian songs of all time in like the past few, de- I should say, the past few decades of kind of contemporary music is I can only imagine. And it was this guy trying to imagine heaven. You know, what will I do when I see you, God? Will I? Will I fall on my knees? Will I look at your face? Will I just start singing? Like when, when I actually experience your glory. Um, I, I used to not like that song, but after writing this book, like that is so spot on. Mm. Slowing down enough to imagine how glorious God must be to me is the practical way of living life in the refuge today. Like here I am in this spot. Life might be good. Life might be bad. I might be knocking it out of the park. I might've just struck out terribly, but I'm sitting in this spot. Imagine like, God, I'm trying to picture you right now. Like you're what makes sinless angels worship forever and ever and ever. Like they, they've never been forgiven for anything and yet they love you. Um, they can't stop singing about you. How, you know, so just what I'm doing right now in practically, I'm just trying to think about God. I'm trying to, what the Bible would say, magnify his name, glorify him, hallow his name. I'm just getting my heart and my brain to engage, to say, wow, God, what words do you use to describe a God like that? Yeah. You know, and when I get in my car, sometimes I'll just stop and I'll just look at the empty passenger seat and I try to picture Jesus. And I take some time and like, (laughs) he's just grinning at me. I love picture him that way. He is so, he is not ashamed of me. Hmm. I might be ashamed of myself, but Hebrews too, he is not ashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. And that enough about me, Mike. You think about yourself all day long. Let's think about him. And it just, it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
That's thank you, Mike. I appreciate all of those practical, tangible ways of bringing that to bear in the present moment. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I I love it that visualization, um, that picturing, and just yeah, it's it's a total shift in mindset, mm-hmm. and we're thinking about ourselves less and thinking more about God in those moments. Yeah, Philippians four. If I could pick like five key chapters of the Bible for this book, Philippians four would be one of them. Yeah. You know, the Paul who can do anything through him who gives me strength, rejoice always. He mentions in that very paragraph, the Lord is near. Mm. And so he says, whatever is true, whatever is beautiful, whatever is good, whatever is noble, think about such things. And the peace that goes beyond understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he he just puts all those into the same package. Yeah. Like peace, joy, contentment. It's thinking about the Lord who is near. So that's what I've tried to pick up on. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Hey, we should, uh, uh, we should, we should bring this one home. So I'm, I'm, I'll post, uh, links to the book, to time of grace ministry, those kind of things in the show notes. But, um, I guess I'm wondering what other, what other resources would you point people to that maybe, you know, they're, they're kind of stirred up by this conversation. They're thinking about things they want. They want more. They want to extend their kind of thought meditation on this, uh, on these topics. What kind of things do you typically point people to? Um, yes. Um, three options I'll give you real quick. Uh, right when my book was published, there was another more academic book called God's Relational Presence. And I saw it and I had to, I had to smile. Basically, take out all the jokes, all the stories, all the pictures from my book. What's the point? And it, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and just expand, like prove to me from start to finish that the Bible is about being with God. And the authors of this book, it's about 400 pages. It comes from some, I think, college or seminary professors. They just go book by book through the whole Bible to show you that the point of the good book is showing you how to be with a good God. Um, So if anyone is kind of intellectually interested in what we've talked about um, at a really deeply theological level, that's my number one recommendation, God's relational presence. Um, Two biblical resources to start. The whole idea that I got of the refuge or the tower comes from reading the Psalms of David. So 150 Psalms, David writes about half of them. Uh, I actually read through all those Psalms and I tried to track kind of with two highlighters, like how often did David have something serious going on in his life? You know, my enemies, Lord, have surrounded me, bloodthirsty men, how long? Like, it's almost always there. And almost always, I got up my other highlighter, he would talk about God as his refuge, his rock, his fortress, his tower, his hiding place, his stronghold. Um, that classic Lutheran hymn, a mighty fortress is our God. Like that, that, that's not about being forgiven. It's about having a place to go to because you are forgiven. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so much of it isn't about like, how do, how do I get to heaven? So many of David's Psalms are, how do I find a meaningful 
joy-filled, I'm going to be okay life right now. When I'm in the wilderness and Saul and his men are hunting me like a dog. So to me, the Psalms are so, I mean, from a counseling perspective, I, I really at this point recommend nothing for anyone besides the Psalms. <laughs> I'm just like, read the Psalms. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually teaching a class right now this summer on, on integration of faith and counseling. And the, there's a, a whole section on just like application of the Psalms. Yeah. Like, you know, for, for as, as people lament, as people express their pain and, and whatever affliction it might be, whatever amfectung is happening, like to mm. be able to go to the, the Psalms and just open that up. It's just, I mean, it's overflowing yeah. with that kind of language. So thank you for that. Amen. And bonus points for you for slipping a little German in there. <laughs> <laughs> it comes in use every once in a while. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. So that, that, that's where I'd start. I, I took a whole journey um, right before I wrote the book. I just went cover to cover in the Bible and I tried to find every reference to God's presence, God with us, Emmanuel, God is here, God's house, God's courts, being at the table with God. And it, it just blew my mind how, how that theme really is the golden thread of the scripture. Mm-hmm. You know, you start in a garden, being with God, walking with him in the cool of the day. And Revelation 22 ends with, um, or the, in the chapter it says, and, and they will see God's face. Mm-hmm. Right. There will be no more nights. They will see his face. And yeah. everything in the middle, the beautiful work of Jesus is about that. I get to see the face of God and he won't be mad. Awesome. Awesome. Mike. Last question. I'm just kind of wondering what what's on the horizon for you. What what kind of things are you working on, investing some time in, either personally or or professionally? Whatever you want to share. Did I bring up the Justin Bieber concert yet? Uh, no, you <laughs> haven't. Please tell me more. <laughs> Where can I sign up? <laughs> there. So my my oldest daughter is God willing finishing middle school next spring. And we had said, you want to have like a big, big party, invite all the family and friends, or do you want to take like a little trip with just our uh, clan of four? And she said, could we go to New York to see a Broadway show? So my wife and I talked, said, well, we could save up for that. Well, then a couple days later, I find out Justin Bieber has just rescheduled his concert dates and ticket prices in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Madison Square Garden are the exact same. So I bit the bullet logged on to Ticketmaster. Yeah. And now for the past, <laughs> we have a 400 day countdown on the whiteboard in our kitchen. So we, oh, are, wow. we are just about a year out. So there's a, if Jesus comes back in May, I'm not going to be mad about it then, but <laughs> you and I are going to have some words. <laughs> I, I, well, hopefully then there's a Bieber concert after that too. <laughs> oh goodness. So yeah, that's the, the personal thing professionally. Um, just released two smaller books with Time of Grace, um, one on abuse and another on abortion. So I've been doing some podcasts and radio shows about those. We had a, a sermon series that those are based off of that have been, well, for us locally, really impactful. Yeah. Really, really, really impactful. So that stuff's already released and people can find that at Time of Grace as well. 
Um, so if anyone's listening, been through abuse or abortion or just knows and loves someone who has, um, those are, I, I was pretty naive about all that stuff. And so I had to learn from the ground up how to minister and love people well. So I'm pretty uh, grateful for those resources that you can find at timeofgrace.org. Awesome. Awesome. Mike, it's been just, uh, it's been a this. It's been a this. <laughs> it really has. I've really enjoyed our time together. Um, it's such a blessing to be able to um, just have wonderful people and have wonderful conversations uh, through this podcast platform and be able to share that with others. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, Ben. This was a blast. A big thanks to Mike for joining the WellMind community, and thank you for spending your time with me today. If you enjoyed this conversation, please check out previous episodes and subscribe through your podcast app so that you automatically get the latest episode. New episodes are released the first and third Monday each month. Also, consider taking a moment to review the show if you found our discussion meaningful to you. Word of mouth is great too. Let people know about the WellMind podcast and spread the word. Please check out the links in the show notes for the various books and articles referenced in our conversation. Remember to submit your wellness questions for an upcoming Q&A episode. Send those over to me at thewellmind at blc.edu. You can find the email address in the show notes. Many thanks to the staff here in the Bethany Lutheran College podcast studio. Seth and Greg are tremendous in providing technical support and editing for the podcast. Special thanks to Lauren McMacken for designing the logo and cover art for The WellMind. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, be well. <laughs>